This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. We are continuing our sermon series in Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 7 today, and I question I wanted to kind of open us with was uh, we all want to be hospitable, right? Like we like to think of ourselves as hospitable people. Uh, we like to be welcoming, warm, friendly. Um, and I would say that this uh, extra applies to Jesus. All of us want to be hospitable with Jesus. Now, I don't think we often think about ourselves like inviting Jesus over for dinner. But you know those questions that people ask, like if you could have dinner with, with anyone in history, uh, and usually for Christians they say, except for Jesus, uh, who would it be? But I think it's because we all know that if we had an opportunity to sit down with Jesus, there are particular things that we would want to ask him. Of course, we would want him to feel welcome. We want him to feel like he, he had a space there, but we'd also want to know things. We'd want to be told. We'd want to feel him out. We'd want to see what he's about, see what he knows about us. Now, if Jesus was going to have dinner with us tonight, do you think he'd meet our expectations? Or are we a little worried that he might disappoint us? He might do something that we don't quite expect or understand. Would he even come at all? Well, today in Luke chapter 7, we're going to read a story about a guy who invited Jesus over for dinner. Uh, and he's going to teach us that when we do invite Jesus over for dinner, uh, he does surprise us. And he surprises us in a number of ways. He surprises us with his presence, with his associations, and his challenge. That's going to be our three points today, his presence, his association, and his challenge. So as we reflect on our own interactions with Jesus as we invite him into our lives, as we explore what he's about, let us learn from this Pharisee and this woman what Jesus is about. So if you would, uh, please stand for what one good pastor called the best part of the whole sermon, God's word to us, which comes from Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May he bless it for all of us. Please be seated. So what happens when we invite Jesus in? And we find, like this Pharisee, that we're going to be surprised. We're going to be surprised by a number of things. His presence, his associations, and his challenges. So first, his presence. Now, this seems kind of obvious that Jesus uh, is present with the Pharisee and this woman. But I don't want to skip over this point. Because I think some of you uh, heard me ask this question at the beginning of like, hey, don't you want to be hospitable with Jesus? Wouldn't you want to invite him over for dinner? Uh, And some of you were there saying, there's no way I could even invite Jesus over for dinner. If everyone in the world, you're talking political leaders, military leaders, CEOs of major corporations, if everybody wants an audience with Jesus, I have no hope. I have no chance. I mean, imagine asking the president over for dinner. Do you think you would even get a response? Like, I don't think they'd even bother to decline to you. They'd just be like, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? Now, Jesus, much more important than any other earthly rule that has ever walked, ruler that has walked this earth, imagine inviting him over for dinner. Don't you think uh, his secretary would just throw the letter away? The Pharisee was probably a relatively important dude in his time. He was probably in charge of a lot. It seems that he had um, some wealth and some power. But you know what? We don't learn a lot else about this Pharisee in the rest of the New Testament. We learn a lot more about Jesus. There's something to learn right off the bat here uh, from this Pharisee. Despite his wealth and power, uh, he still has to go ask Jesus to come over. And maybe we can learn from that too, that no matter where we see ourselves on the spectrum um, of whether or not we should, Jesus should grace us with his presence, we go to him and we ask. But here's the really important piece, is that no matter where you find yourself on that spectrum of whether you deserve to have Jesus over or not, Jesus comes. In these first verses, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him And he went into the Pharisee's house, took his place at the table. Don't skip over the fact that in the Bible, there are all sorts of people who simply walk up to Jesus and ask him to do things. And most of the time, he does them. We saw this with the centurion. He sent a messenger and the messenger just shows up and says, hey, Jesus, will you come here? And he's like, yeah, I'll go. Uh, We saw this with the leper. Uh, and the, the, par- the paralytic on the mat, they simply asked and it was done. Brothers and sisters, we can go and ask Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my prayers, when I go and I ask Jesus, right, I'm a little bit ashamed. Like, it's, it's a little bit inappropriate for me to ask this thing. Maybe like a child who just runs up to somebody important and asks, will you play on the ground with me? And we're all kind of like, come on, kid. Like, don't you know that like, this person's got other things to do? And yet, what does Jesus say? He says that we're supposed to be like little children. And not because he treats little children like we tend to um, when we're important uh, and, and, and we have other things to do, but because Jesus welcomes the little children. No matter where we are in our lives, let's not skip over the fact that when we invite Jesus into uh, our hospitality, when we ask him to do things, he responds. Now, 
I would say that we probably don't feel like that always happens. I'm sure many of you in this room have stories of where you would say that you asked Jesus to do something and you don't feel like he answered, right? And I think that we walk away with these feelings like Jesus doesn't consent to grace us with his presence because he must have other important things to do. But there was a Bible teacher recently who put it really well. He said, uh, she said that when we um, are asking Jesus for something, we're usually asking him to fix something about our situation. Because if just our situation was resolved, then we'd be okay. And Jesus shows up, he does. But often he's less concerned about the situation. He's there for your heart. He's there for you. He's answering different questions. He comes for sure, just like he comes into Simon's house, this Pharisee's house. But this Pharisee's house, um, Jesus isn't playing by the rules. He's not answering the questions that this Pharisee is expecting him to answer. But Jesus is there for the Pharisee. So we're going to keep unraveling what this means for this Pharisee throughout the passage. Uh, but Jesus surprises us when we invite him in by his presence, by his actually showing up. So this is the first thing that he surprises us with. But Jesus surprises us in another way when we invite him into our presence, and that is with his associations. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but I had a coworker uh, that I thought I knew pretty well, you know, like we got along well at work, and I was like, hey, we, we should be friends. So he invited me over for dinner, and he said he's going to be inviting over uh, some other friends. Uh, and I was like, okay, great. We're probably going to have dinner, you know, drinks, maybe some card games or something. Uh, and then I show up, and I had been, like, briefly in his apartment before, but nothing, you know, for, for like, a dinner, not welcomed in for hospitality. Uh, and his apartment had, like, transformed into essentially a nightclub. Uh, there was, like, lights out, like, different lights shining everywhere, maybe fog machines, I don't know. And I was shocked. I was like, Shocked uh, because it, it did not seem to align with the person that I knew at work. <laughs> I was like, what I thought I knew about you uh, is not adding up right now. Uh, and I was shocked not only, uh, you know, by, by the event itself, but also to the fact that this man was associated with these things. Not because it was uh, particularly offensive in any particular way, just because it was shocking that this person was associated with these things. This Pharisee clearly was shocked by who Jesus associated with in this story. To understand why and how this party works, we kind of need to understand how parties work in the New Testament. So uh, just, just give me a, a little breather here to explain this. See, when these parties were thrown by the wealthy that this Pharisee seems like he had, what happened was he'd invite these people over and they'd eat in a courtyard of their home. Uh, and maybe, maybe it was exposed uh, to, to daylight or maybe it wasn't. Um, but then they'd also open up the gates to the street. And the idea was that they would recline at these tables. They were low tables. Um, they'd usually sit on their left side with their feet, like lay down on their left side uh, with their feet out behind them. And there'd be some pillows here for them to recline on. And so they'd the people that were invited to the dinner would recline at the table. But the gates would be open, and the people passing by could come in and get a peek. Now, as we read historical records of kind of what these parties were like, sometimes... Um, the gates were opened uh, in order to just showcase the extreme difference between the haves and the have-nots. So the poor beggars were in intended to line kind of the outside and just see what a good dinner would actually look like. Man, if they could only ever be a part of one one day. 
but sometimes you read historical accounts where, you know, they were actually pretty uh, generous with the people that came in. They would have appetizers or tapas, you know, they kind of walk around and they'd like hand the people that were touring the home in some way uh, and, and taking care of these people that were coming in, even though they were not invited to the table. We don't get an explanation of exactly what this Pharisee's uh, event was like, but either way we could know that the Pharisee was throwing the party in a particular way so that Jesus would see and know something about the Pharisee, right? He wanted to see and know. The Pharisee wanted Jesus to see and know that he was exceedingly generous, that he was hospitable, that yes, he had been blessed with good things, and that's because he'd worked hard, but he also is going to be generous with those people around him. He's going to invite people in from the outside. He's even going to invite Jesus. Jesus, isn't it such an honor to be in my presence? Aren't you going to see and know who I am? But then something unthinkable happens at this dinner party. Uh, This woman who's already broken all social protocols uh, by her very life history and what's known about her um, is now seen at the party. And she breaks in and everybody says, "Uh uh-oh. And she runs up to Jesus and she's kind of doing these things that would be unthinkable to be done. And the host of the party doesn't quite know what to do because Jesus isn't kicking her away. And so... Usually people on the outsides aren't supposed to come in, and usually he'd send his servants or something after, but he wants, to see, he wants Jesus to see that he's being generous and hospitable, and Jesus seems to be allowing this action. And the Pharisee says to himself, Jesus might see who this woman is, but he clearly doesn't know who this woman is. Holy people wouldn't associate with such unholiness. This woman wasn't supposed to be seen or heard. She clearly wasn't invited to join at the table. She wasn't supposed to be seen, but she was known. She was known for her sin. And it doesn't say exactly what her sin was, um, but maybe just even the way that the text is written, our assumptions might be pretty close to correct. A woman of the street, accused to be a sinner, looked down upon Does Jesus see and know who he associates with? Now, there have been a number of moments in my life where, you know, I saw someone and I thought I knew what I was going to get from them. Uh, I I told you about my coworker, um, but I've got another story. Um, I valley parked cars in Chicago during undergrad, and I was working at a restaurant called The Girl and the Goat on uh, Randall Randall, uh, Restaurant Row in Chicago. Uh, and this guy, one shift, rolls up in a brand new Ferrari 458 Spider, costing somewhere between you know, uh, around $300,000 with a zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. This was before they were putting batteries in things uh, to make them faster. Um, it was bright red. It had the top off in the beautiful Chicago summers. Uh, this guy hops out in his like perfectly manicured suit, throws me his keys and walks into the restaurant, doesn't even wait for his, his ticket. And I was like, man, that was cool. And so like, I keep the ticket, grab the keys, and I carefully back the car into a front spot. And you know what I saw, right? I saw the suit, I saw the coolness, I saw the power moves, and I knew I'm getting a good tip. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna get. Well, my manager comes up uh, a, f- a few minutes later, uh, he was checking on another account, and he, he looks at the Ferrari and he goes, oh, so-and-so's here, the guy that like, frequented the restaurant. Uh, and he goes, did you drive the car? And now you have to know, um, you know, joyriding in, in cars as a valet is a fireable offense, right? Uh, this is not something you're supposed to do. So I'm 99% sure that this is a test. Um, but I answer truthfully and I say, of course not, and a little disgusted that he would assume such things about me. And he goes, well, you should have, because he's not going to pay you. 
Now, I was like shocked by this. The valet fee was $10 for the parked car, and usually there was a tip expected on top of that at the time that I was parking cars. I'm sure it's more now. Um, and what happened was the manager of the restaurant comes out and asks for the key, goes back in, and the guy just walks right back out, hops into his Ferrari, and drives away. My manager is laughing at me as I'm covering his valet fee out of my own pocket. You see, what I initially saw was wealth, coolness, and power. But what I came to know was that this man, although he could buy a $300,000 sports car, believes that he doesn't deserve to pay for valet. Now, I got to round out this story a little uh, so that you understand that I'm not quite the saint I make myself out to be. Uh, this guy came back maybe the next week in his Ferrari 458 with 562 horsepower, 0 to 16, 3.4 seconds, and I drove that car. Now, I'm not saying it was like Ferris Buellering, you know, but maybe it was close. And I say that just, just to kind of round out the story of like, yeah, I've deserved this with my, you know, 15 or $30. He didn't pay me that time either. At first glance, this man had it all to me. But what I saw didn't actually align with what was true, with what I needed to know. I had to learn something else. The Pharisee in the story thinks that Jesus might see this woman, but that he's going to learn something else about her, that he has something else that he needs to know. But Jesus surprises the Pharisee yet again by who he associates with, because he says that he not only sees and knows the woman, but he sees and knows the Pharisee. He sees and knows the Pharisee more than the Pharisee would like to admit. Here's how I know this, because this might be shocking to get from the passage here. Neither the Pharisee nor the woman have been named in this story yet. Have you guys paid attention to that? It's just a certain Pharisee, a certain woman. Even Jesus doesn't get a name until a little bit later. Like as the story starts, he's just the Pharisee all the way through. Nobody's really known. Everybody's still waiting to figure out who and what is going on. What's going to be true here? We see a lot of things. We see the wealth and the extravagance. We see a sinner. But what are we going to know? And Jesus, in this moment, turns to the unnamed Pharisee and names him. He says, Simon, I've got a question for you. Simon says, say it, teacher. And he tells this parable about this moneylender, and it's clearly supposed to parallel uh, Simon and this woman, right? Like nobody's missing the point here. Jesus is the moneylender. The woman has the greater debt for sure. But Simon wasn't innocent. You see, Simon's sitting there saying, you know what? If Jesus only knew that this woman owed something, he wouldn't let her do this. And Jesus turns to Simon and says, you know, you might be surprised that I'm associating with this woman, but heaven itself is surprised that I'm associating with any of you. You all owe a debt. Do money lenders generally hang out with those that they lend the money to? Especially people who aren't paying? Now, I wonder if there are people that you have thought about that have said, I can't believe Jesus associates with these people. Now, I think usually we don't necessarily think of it this way. Um, we tend to think about it like, I can't believe that Jesus allows his name to be associated with some of these people. You know, like there are some Christians that uh, abuse what Christianity is supposed to be, and we just go, I can't, I can't believe that Jesus puts up with this. 
Now, I want to have a caveat here. I do believe that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. I do believe that there are people that are misusing the name of God, not only uh, in their speech by taking the Lord's name in vain, but that they're also um, misusing it in their actions. They're twisting it towards their own ends. I do believe that these people will be judged by Jesus when the day comes. But from this passage, from this passage, I don't think that's what we're supposed to be getting out of it. From this passage, we're supposed to see not how could Jesus let his name be associated with them, but how could Jesus let his name be associated with me? In a sudden realization of my own hypocrisy that I too do the very same things. Jesus says that what is truly shocking for heaven is that he would be associated with any of us at all. That the King of kings and Lord of lords would come down, take on human flesh, would eat our pathetic food, enjoy our subpar hospitality, and say that he wants to come back to do it forever. It's shocking. Jesus shocks us not only by his presence, but also with who he associates with. But this leads us into the last thing that Jesus surprised us with when we invite him in, and that's his challenge. You know, we talked about seeing and knowing. Uh, Jesus doesn't just acknowledge that he sees and knows this woman or that he sees and knows Simon. He also challenges Simon to see and know this woman like he does. You know the question? Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her like I see her? And then Jesus proceeds to compare the woman to Simon. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see what she's done by wetting my feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair and covering my feet with ointment and kissing them? You think you're showing hospitality, but you know who did it right? This woman. You see, most commentators will say that Simon most certainly showed uh, the cultural respect and deference that was due to guests in his house. He probably didn't fail in any of them. But what he failed to see and know was this was not just any guest. This was the Lord of the universe. When Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? She's doing it right. What Jesus is saying is she's recognized that I am Lord of the universe. She has appropriately responded to what she has received from me. You see, this woman loves so greatly because she, she sees and knows what great love that she has been given because she sees and knows God himself. She sees and knows the very one who's going to provide her forgiveness from these very things that haunt her. And so she loves deeply. First John 4.19 says it this way. It says that we love because he first loved us. And sometimes we get it confused in the story. You know, we read this, it's like, oh, it's because she did all these things. You know, we read verse 47, because she did all these things, uh, her sins are forgiven. But that's not how the story goes. If you go to the parable, their debts are already forgiven. Because their debts are forgiven, who loves most? The one who knows their sin. The one who knows how lost they really were. The challenge that Jesus offers is not only for us to see and know others correctly, which is true, but also to see and know ourselves in correct, in correct relation to Jesus himself, to the Lord of the universe, to see how high and mighty he really is and to see how much damage we have really done. But it's not just to stop there. 
is to stop and see at what great lengths this high and mighty God would do to come down and deliver us. This woman recognized Jesus shouldn't be here. This isn't where he belongs. What's he doing here? And she realizes that Jesus is there for her. Jesus is there for Simon. Jesus is there for something so much greater than Simon could have thought or asked for when he invited him into his house. Jesus showed up and he said, Simon, do you see this woman? And do you see that I too am forgiving you your debts as well? How will you respond? Will you respond with love? Or will you respond scoffing like the rest of those that sit around the table and said, who is this who forgives sins? So Jesus turns to this woman. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And it's at this moment that we realize something profound. Because those people that scoff, who is this that forgives sins, acknowledge something very important about Jesus' authority, right? Because they're questioning whether or not Jesus actually has this authority to forgive sins. But the fact that Jesus does it in this moment shows us, and I wonder if you can follow me here. Simon thought that he was inviting Jesus into his house. But Jesus showed up and invited him into his kingdom. Jesus is like, this is all mine. This doesn't belong to you. There's an appropriate response to be had. But I am king of kings and lord of lords. I have authority to forgive your sins and make you whole. How will you respond to me? Jesus showed up to Simon and invited him into his presence. Jesus showed up to Simon and invited Simon into association with him. Jesus showed up to Simon and challenged Simon to see and know Jesus for who he really is. You see, in the garden, Adam and Eve had to be removed from the presence of God, right? Cast out from the presence of God itself. And then we see Jesus here in this story showing up and inviting people back into his presence. We thought that Jesus would only associate himself with the high and mighty, the important of the world. And so we strive so hard to be worthy in his sight. And we're surprised to learn that heaven is just flabbergasted that Jesus is down here at all. What is he doing there? And so we're surprised that Jesus is actually inviting us into association with him. He came down from heaven in order to forgive our debt. He gave up his heavenly prerogatives, sacrificed his own life, suffered and died in order that we might be forgiven of all of our debts to set us free, free from shame, free from guilt, free from hatred, free from malice, free from apathy, from your addictions, and free from your past, free to enter into his kingdom as a son or daughter of God himself. This is what Jesus came to do. The surprise of the gospel, when we open ourselves up, think that we're being hospitable to Jesus, is we find that he's the one that's hospitable to us. The surprise of the gospel says it wasn't us that invited him, 
He came down of his own volition. The surprise of the gospel is he said, I choose you. I want you. And the challenge that rests with Simon, and the challenge that rests with all of us, is how will we respond to this unbelievably generous hospitality? Will we see and know Jesus for who he really is? Or will we scoff like the people around the table? Will we see and know Jesus for who he really is and overflow with 100% all the way love, devotion, worship, reorientation of our entire lives, not just invitation for a dinner meal, following forever? This is what happens when we invite Jesus into our spaces. We are surprised to learn that he's the one showing us hospitality and love in turn. Now, Jesus not only intended uh, us to understand that he's inviting us into his, his presence, or intended these people to understand that they're being invited into his presence, um, he wanted them to be nourished in a particular way, right? He challenged them to respond to Jesus in a particular way. And there's almost a certain way that he was doing this the night that he was betrayed. You know, this table um, we celebrate in, in remembrance of the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he ate um, the, the supper with his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And we go through this a lot, but I'm just, I'm going to break it down a little bit more for us. Um, and in that meal, he's saying, this is the last meal that I'm going to eat with you all. And as we're breaking this bread and drinking this wine, I want you to understand um, just how far I was willing to go for you. I don't want you just to hear it from me. You've heard it from me the last three years. I want you to taste it. And I want you to understand that my invitation, that Jesus' invitation into his presence is not just a temporary invitation for a dinner meal where you go back home and live your life. It's an invitation to live a life that is marked by Jesus forever. That's what we celebrate here at this table. And so I'll tell the story again. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and having blessed it, he broke it and he turned and gave it to his disciples as I'm ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said, take this bread and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of your sins. Take and drink. This is an invitation for those who see and know Jesus for who he really says he is. Who see and know him as the savior of the universe the only one who can forgive our debt. It is a promise, a reminder, and a declaration that by his body and his blood and by his sacrifice, we have been shown the greatest love there ever was. If you believe this, this table is for you. If you're not sure about Jesus and his promises, if you're not sure about his invitation, if you're not sure about his hospitality, if, if, it's, not, if it's as good as uh, he says it is, if you're not sure that he can forgive all of your sins, I'd invite you to refrain from this section of this table. Continue inviting Jesus in. Continue to explore who he is. Continue to find that he is much more hospitable than you could have known. In a moment, I'll pray for us and then we can come down the center aisle to these two serving stations. Um, the server will hand you the bread and then there'll be, uh, there's a gluten-free option should you require. Uh, 
just notify your server of that. And then there is red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. Uh, we'll partake of those as you head back to your seat, and then you can dispose of the cups in these little trash cans that are here or the trash can in the back. Um, if you would, please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us to see this invitation to come into your house this morning. Of course, you've invited us in for this whole service. You've called us into worship. But especially in this sacrament, Lord, you declare something about the power of your body and your blood. The power of your body and blood to forgive us our debts. And that that causes us to overflow with a love, a love so deep and so profound for you that would see us even in our brokenness and shame and you would come to rescue us. That you would not leave us alone, but you would come to invite us into your house where there are many rooms. That you would promise us with this meal that you would come to serve us once again, face to face. That we might eat bread and drink wine with you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use these common elements, that you would surprise us by their effect on us this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.